Cheers, my guy. Cheers. Welcome to Driving with Dave. Thank you. So excited today to talk to Emmy-nominated journalist and star, one of the one of the men from I believe Claire Crowley season of yes. The Bachelorette, Garen Flowers. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. This is a long time in the making because we actually met last December, mm-hmm. and um, I mean you got a lot going on. I want to talk about a ton of different things, but let's let's jump right into it. Yeah. What's 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 more nerve wracking, uh, meeting The Bachelorette Claire Crowley or meeting The Rock? <laughs> I, I would say meeting the rock, I would be like <laughs> I was like stuck. I was like, Did it start I, cause, touching cause, cause he, him? How do you what do you even do with He was a lifelong uh just idol of mine. So to meet that person after years of, of just looking up to this person, it was just unreal. And yeah, I shook his hand and I was like, This dude is a is a is a mountain. He's, and he's, he's just a little re- bit mountain. I mean he's just ready to go, charisma. Super charismatic and the nicest guy. I mean he could he could probably beat up a room full of 100 people, but also is the kindest person. He's been around for so long. You know, mm-hmm. my my stepsister loved him when he was uh, Rocky. Like, when he was, like, just getting into wrestling. She was huge into wrestling and, mm-hmm. you know, people's elbow and all this. And he's, I mean, he was big then, but he's global now. Um, and now, were you interviewing him for, like, red carpet duties? Like, what, what, do you, uh, what were you working on? So, I used to be a television reporter in Florida covering, like, murder and crime and politics and education and all that moved to LA to pursue entertainment hosting and my first job in entertainment was which I still have is interviewing actors for Cinemark theaters and then we promote their films so they sent me to Cabo hard work nice. they sent me to Cabo to interview the cast of Jumanji which was The Rock Kevin Hart Jack Black Aquafina and some more yeah and it was crazy I mean Not a one bad of the best gig. experiences yeah You've been all over, and I have a ton I want to get into. You went to the same college that my mom went to, University of South Florida. What? Yeah. That's crazy. I just okay. found that out, and um, you've you've uh, you got your you, what are you a professor at USC now? You're teaching journalism there. I'm a professor at USC, uh, which is awesome. I mean, I, I was a kid watching the Matt Leiner, Reggie Bush, you know, championship days, and. I would have never thought, you know, being this kid in Florida, I'd be in L.A. teaching at USC. So it's I'm, been a fun experience. That's yeah. What a blast. Uh, so yeah. what I, I guess what I guess we can feed the bachelor beast first. <laughs> so what got you <laughs> onto the show? You were there obviously for a very big part. I mean, you were there for the, the dead center of the covid. You were the first covid season, I believe. Right. Yeah, we were. Yeah. We Claire's were. We were season was season. postponed and then it shot in Palm Springs? Yep. All right, t- tell me about this process. It's it's crazy how life comes together and how just like the smallest little things can lead you somewhere big. Um, when I was leaving Florida, there were these women I sat next to that were like, oh my God, you're going to LA, you need to be on The Bachelorette and Vanderpump Rules and all these things. I'm like, <laughs> I don't watch either of those shows. I don't want to do any type of reality TV, absolutely not. And I think I think in the back of my head, I just didn't think I was like, quality enough or good looking enough to go on like a reality show which was you know obviously a, oh my a gosh the, the looks of these people i mean right though they're, <laughs> they're like people you're like you're you know, there's like football players yep. and it's like it's like high school on steroids just to see some of the people they come up with yeah i mean people will make fun of reality stars but like they don't understand a lot of these people are some of the best fit most intelligent people you'll ever meet and, and it's like tall. you would you you wouldn't even you're not even half of this person <laughs> you yeah. know what i'm saying like this person's a lawyer and six three and jacked you know what i'm saying like the people who go on these reality shows aren't just like you know yeah, nobody no, it, and it's usually someone it's usually people sort of searching because a lot of times it's people that don't have 
other jobs going on or they're between jobs. You have to kind of be in the right place, right time to do that. Obviously, exactly. with your season, it's the pandemic, so a lot of people not working. Did you know in advance it was Claire? And like, did you get any say, or would they just like, hey, you're you're coming to this next season? Mm. So, so I absolutely knew it was Claire, and 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 the reason is. Like, like I was mentioning, the, these women I worked with were telling me you need to do all these reality shows. And I was like, absolutely not. So I started dating this woman during the pandemic and uh, we hit it off. I mean, I was absolutely smitten by her. I thought that was it. Like, this is my person. And that was the first time I had um, been involved in like a love bombing situation where mm. this person just wanted all of my love, all of my attention. And then as soon as she got it, it was like, mm, actually, mm, no, I'm good. Just oh. out of nowhere. When things were just like absolutely magical, like... Just like a fairy tale almost. She was like, oh, I'm good. And so, man, I, I was just like absolutely heartbroken. And I remember Claire's season had been delayed by a couple months because of the pandemic. And I kept seeing advertisements for her. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to get over my ex by going on The Bachelorette. Like, forget her. <laughs> so I'm like mad applying, like angry, heartbroken applying to the show. And then a month later, uh, you know, I'm, I'm healing. I've, I've gotten through it. I've lost all this weight. I'm just like healthy. I'm not drinking. And then they called me. And it was insane. And it was like three Skype meetings because they were trying to get it going. Right. So I didn't have to go through that whole long process. And then next thing you know, they were picking me up to go to Palm Springs. Boy, that must be so surreal. Now, I hear more about love bombing from men to women. And I wonder if it's because men will, you know, when it, when it comes to getting laid, you, you got to sell yourself. So guys yeah. will oversell, <laughs> baby, I want to make you this. And then they have sex and then they're like, yeah, no, I don't know anymore. You know? So, so to hear it from a woman love bombing a guy, that's something I haven't heard much. What was, when did, did you know you were being love bombed or was it something in hindsight you saw? Like, did she just pull the rug out from underneath you? It was definitely in hindsight. And that is something that men typically don't, don't do that work to understand how you're treating this person. And so it, for me, it was like, I've always taken a long time to get into a committed relationship, at least five, six months minimum. So with this woman, I mean, she was just saying all the right things. We were just hitting it off. It was during the pandemic, so we're, we have all day to talk and have that time. And uh, I was like, you know what? I've, I've always done it this way. Let me try it this way. Let me just dive in. And I dove in, I, but I didn't realize till like after it was all said and done, because after um, it, it all pretty much was ending, a friend of mine was like, man, there's gotta be something there. Like, you're such a great dude. Like, and then, so I started checking her social media and it was all right there, all in the comment section, flirting with other guys, mm -hmm. saying the same exact things to me she was saying to someone else. And I was like, it was never real. And yeah. that was painful. That I mean, was painful. I guess, I guess you know, to put yourself in someone else's shoes, it could be like an insecurity thing, wanting mm -hmm. value. Because everyone always talks about daddy's issues, but you never, it's usually in reference to the, to the woman. But mm -hmm. when it comes to men, men have issues too. And, you know, we try to put labels on why things don't work out. And maybe she learned, maybe she sees you on TV and she realizes, oh, geez, I <laughs> l lost a good thing or whatever. Yeah. You, know, you just never know. But it's always important whether you're, you know, when you come out of relationships to learn from that so that you don't make that same mistake again and waste everyone's time, it seems. Yeah, exactly. You you have to learn and grow. And, you know, you, you hope you don't impart your trauma on other people and that you give other people a chance. But it's hard not to change when someone hurts you in that way. So I'm definitely um, not as quick to dive in um, because of that. But I, I'll still I'll still 
move faster than I did before with like the five, six months. And that's what's so funny is like, is because Bachelor is essentially a show about love bombing. Mm -hmm. Now, not not necessarily in the way where the person's got a bad uh, motive, but it's like, all right, how quickly can we get people falling in love? So the producers are almost the one doing the love bombing. They're setting up these grandiose dates that you would never see in real life for your second date or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, But was it, what was it like to jump back in and also how, how much of it felt real versus just this like fabrication because you're kind of in like this little bubble. Yeah, my, my heart was very open at the time I went. You know, luckily I was able to heal um, before going there and you know, I, I couldn't really tell how real it was or not. I, I, I was just like, let me just go for it. I, my, you know, I'm, I'm, I might be gullible, but I just thought, I don't think this woman would go and do this show just for fame, just to, just to be a star. Like she could be an actress if she wants to, you know. Oh, yeah. And Claire seemed very normal compared to a lot of other women that do reality shows. Yeah, you know we're I mean? yeah, we're a big we're big fans of Claire over here. Mm-hmm. But with you know, we we were able to watch the show and see her own issues, like everyone who has them, mm-hmm. which is you know, there's anxieties, there's cameras on you. It's like you just never know how you're gonna act gonna act until you're like in the center focus there. And with her, you know, she obviously chooses Dale Moss. It doesn't last. Mm-hmm. But you just can't know. It's almost like you're just, she's just there to take the car off the lot. The lot is this prefabricated, perfect place. And then, then you got to drive it through life's challenges, which is, you know, uh, how much time are you spending at the gym as a guy? Because mm-hmm. you, ain't, you ain't doing the same amount of gym time when you're single versus when you're in a relationship. Like, things just have to change, you know? Mm-hmm. And I feel like in most relationships, you, that's a, that's the that's the tango you got to do. One, one thing I like to say about the the Bachelor and the Bachelorette, it's very real for about six people, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like six people. This is a really real thing. Like the the Bachelor and Bachelorette know who they really like. You know, they're at least their top ten, and then. I would say maybe top six by week two. And I would say it's very real for those people because it can end up in an engagement and end up in marriage, as we've seen, and end mm, up in kids. Babies, and, yeah, wild you know. stuff. So so I, I think for about 20-something other people, it's just just a fun experience unless it, unless it doesn't go well for Did them. you know, did you think you had a shot at first? And if yes, when did you feel like, oh, man, Dale's running away with it? <laughs> so, I, so I knew I had a shot because you have to have that confidence in yourself. Yeah. And the fact that they chose me to be around that, that that quality group of men, I knew I belonged there. Cause I remember the first night I had a little bit of insecurity. I was like, man, I'm one of the shortest dudes here. You know what I'm saying? These dudes are jacked, you know, like doctors, lawyers, uh, you know, uh, former athletes, you know, was, is ran the gamut. And, uh, but one of the producers that, that was working with me was like, man, you're in the room though. And I was like, you're right. There you go. I'm, I'm here for a reason. And so I just like completely just believed in myself at that point. But I was very rare in knowing the connection they had because Claire had disappeared for a while and we didn't know where she was. Oh, yeah. And I wanted to talk to her. So I'm walking around. I'm like, where is she? You know, I'm inquisitive. I'm a journalist. I see, <laughs> you got your little I, recorder. <laughs> dude, it's like it's like a quarter mile away. It's this beautiful park that's well lit. And, and her and Dale Boss are sitting there. I'm like... That's not normal. Every other guy she's been like walking around, talking to within eye distance. This guy, she's like far away in like this well-lit park area. Yeah. And I'm like, 
that's not normal. Like, there's something there, and I actually interrupted their date. Right. <laughs> so that's probably why I didn't last very long. I interrupted their date, and I got to have extra time with her because I was in that faraway park, which was really cool. That's what's tough, man, because I don't know if I'd have the gumption to ever, you know, I'm such a, like, oh, good to you. Like, I'm the worst <laughs> when it comes to that stuff. So, like, I don't know if I would, I'd be the guy night one who just is like, well, I guess I'm not going to meet her because, yeah. you know, you're just, like, politely waiting in line like you're buying cold cuts. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and look, I mean, even if, you know, she was criticized for, you know, kind of, like, choosing beforehand or whatever, but it's like, what well, you know, if, if she made the whole season last, she would have still had her eyes only on him. Like, that was clearly they had a strong connection going into it. Now, now forgive me because this is, uh, I always forget every season the second it ends. How long were you there for... For for Tasha's portion, or were you, were you already out? So so I was already out. Okay. And you know you you asked when did I know that I was you know no longer a, a candidate or whatever like pretty much when she sent me home like we had a good like you know those little mini dates at the rose ceremony the mm-hmm. the cocktail party we had an amazing date and I can't really say what happened because you're not, you're not supposed to say what didn't air. But I'll just say it was it was amazing. Like she was laughing, and you know, men, we know that like getting a woman to laugh is very important. Yep. She was laughing. They gave me extra time because of my dodgeball stunt, so they gave me extra time with her. And and she, we were laughing, we were vibing. You know, we we were like next to each other, and um, the guys were looking at me like, "Bro, what did you say to her?" Because <laughs> she was vibing you, and I thought I was bare minimum safe one more week bare minimum so when she sent me home week it was week two when i was sent home when she sent me home i was completely shook i was like well you know what are you gonna do yeah you did you you made her laugh like what else at that point you just don't check off one of her boxes exactly exactly speaking of making people laugh by the way and cheers again congrats for doing your first stand-up show thank you let's dive into this let's do it so laughter is uh i think uh, one of the best medicines that exist out there and bringing people together and you know what's hard is it's easy to laugh you know at, at random events uh, as they play out but what can be hard is to get on stage and laugh on and, and make laughter on command yeah so tell me about that experience getting into it have you always wanted to do it and what was it like yeah so first of all I, I have a lot of respect for you and, and comedians that get up on stage it's one of the hardest things ever to get up and make people laugh that are staring at you you know your job is to make them laugh and yeah, it's weird, right? Yeah. It's, oh, a, str- yeah. it's a strange thing when you it's, break it down. It's not something I always wanted to do, but oddly, Dave, like I always got anxiety when I would go to comedy shows and I just, I just never felt good. And I think it was a part of me because like I knew it was something I needed to try. And my ultimate goal is to become a, a TV host like Ryan Seacrest and Steve Harvey. That's my ultimate goal. And so a lot of people ask me, Hey, do you do stand up? And I'm like, no. Well, there's this one guy who's this big uh, uh, producer in, in LA who was meeting with me, and he was like, man, you're doing yourself a disservice. I was like, ah. So then I saw this uh, Instagram live from this woman named Jen Gottlieb, and I got to meet her recently, a, a week or so ago, which is awesome. But she said, sometimes your dreams are on the other side of fear. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. And when she said that, I was like, I'm terrified of stand up. And people aren't going to want to hear this because you go, you can think of that. Everyone can listen to this and think of the thing that they're afraid of or that screenplay they've wanted to write. And it's like, yeah, breathe into that because fear, those emotions are strong, which means there's like a burden that you need to break through. Mm -hmm. And what I want people to know about it is you don't have to just 
rip the band-aid. I didn't just jump on a stage. Um, you know, if you're scared of heights, you don't have to just jump out of a plane. You can kind of take it easy. Like I took a course and so that helped. So I was able to learn how to write jokes and then I was able to test them out in front of my class of like six or seven people and I could see where they were laughing. So then when I went on stage, I was like, I know I have something as opposed to just going up and bombing. Yeah. So you, know, you can take steps to, to facing that fear. I always talk about brick walls and like the Randy Posh um, a book called The Last Lecture. Have you heard of it? Mm-mm. So he was dying of a terminal. I probably talked about this a bunch, but he was dying of a terminal illness. And he, uh, I believe, was a professor at Carnegie Mellon. So a very mm-hmm. smart man. Mm-hmm. And when you're leaving, uh, being a professor, you get your last lecture. And he posted it on YouTube and it went viral. And then it became oh. a best-selling book. And the whole, and I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it because I don't want to give away the big twist at the end. But the whole idea of the book is to know that brick walls aren't meant to keep you out it's meant to show you how bad you want something. Mm. The brick wall of stand-up, it might be seeing Chris Rock and going, I can't do that. But the ladder or the stones you stack to climb up to the brick wall are the actionable choices you can make, which sometimes is as simple as Googling, how do I do whatever it is you want to do? And then you can find somebody who's going to tell you to do this first. Go to an open mic. Go to a class to learn how to write a joke. Mm-hmm. And then you see, like, okay, I can do that in front of four people. You can do it in front of 400 people. You just scale it up. But mm-hmm. that's a good example of educating yourself in something that you might want to do. And a lot of people don't know if they're, they would love it or not because of that fear. It, you almost convince yourself, like, oh, I don't want to do that. A lot, a lot of people, surprisingly, that do improv comedy don't do stand-up because mm-hmm. it's getting away from this collective that you're on stage with. Yep. And I started with improv and acting and things like that, and then it got into stand-up, and then you realize, oh, when you're alone on stage, you, you strip yourself from as many variables that might exist, yes. and you're just, like, naked with the crowd. Mm-hmm. You know? That's a good way to put it. Yeah, so... so um, Congrats on that. And Thank you. like where do you what like what do you think you want to do aside from hosting? Like do you want to continue to do stand up? Are you going to be working on that? I do want to continue to do stand up. It is exhilarating. I mean, making people laugh. You're helping people have a good day. Like right in front of you, you know? Um, you know, sometimes you might say something and you, and you made someone feel good, but you might not know, like with stand up, you, you know it right there, you know, and, it, and it's hard because you might not get laughs and not every joke is going to be well received as you know, but you know what I really, a good set. I want to bring it back to the rock. Yeah. A yeah. good set feels like the rock pile driving somebody and then walking yes. around like with his chest up and he stands up on the ring and kind of like stares at <laughs> I, I had this show in Seattle and um, I went there all by myself we had a fun show but the day yeah. before I got I got in it was like last minute there was an open mic nearby and I was like I'd never been to Seattle and I was like alright I'll just go to this open mic and I showed up and I was like oh, I'm headlining next door tomorrow night and I think they were like alright cool we'll put you on and then I met a lot of comics and they were like you know everyone's kind of like sniffing each other out yeah all a bunch of dogs like oh, are yeah. you good how long you done it what we were trying to find out is like <laughs> do you suck or not right right and then i was like yeah i've done it for 10 years whatever and then i go on stage and it like hit everything hit and it i walked hit. off stage like what's up i'm the man what's up <laughs> and then two minutes later you're having a diet coke by yourself in the back but like <laughs> there is that dopamine of like this rush that comes from doing from having control mm-hmm. over an aspect of an industry that is 
a complete lack of control. So it's almost like you're provided a wingsuit in an otherwise free fall because entertainment, this world is tough, right? You're waiting on agents to tell you when you get a gig, you're going to castings and this and that. So if you can go on stage and make people laugh, that's the that's the most control you can have in this town. Mm -hmm. And then everything else falls into place. Like yeah. everything has to fall into place when you put the time in to like learn how to communicate. And a lot of stand-up, which I still struggle with or like explore is like how can i change my vocal tone mm. how can i uh use more pauses like my biggest yep. fear whenever i'm editing something you know you can see the audio there's never a pause and i'm like i'm just i talk too much and too fast like yeah. air it out dave you know less <laughs> is more make them come to you yeah. and that can be hard for me because all of my um i don't even call it anxiety but that energy when you get on stage is like come on like it's like that you gotta like it's like that rodeo where you have to you have to like communicate as best as you can, which isn't always like chugging a Red Bull and yelling at people. Like mm -hmm. that's not always the way to a funny joke. Mm -hmm. we, we as people want to fill silence. It makes us awkward when things are silent. And it's, it's something I actually mastered as a, as a TV reporter is letting people fill that silence mm. and letting there be this awkwardness to it because some those are some of the best sound bites you get from people is like you ask a question and then you just sit there and nod and you feel like there's more so you just continue to sit there and nod and then you get more you know and so it's the same way with comedy i'm sure when you when you have that moment of silence it draws people in they're like what's next what's next what's gonna say? you gotta build the tension mm -hmm. you know bow and arrow style you gotta build tension to like give that moment and great storytellers can like master that moment where they're just waiting. They always say like, like wait as long as you can before delivering a punchline. Now, of course, don't like put people to sleep, but that might be an eighth of a second. Mm -hmm. And that eighth of a second could be the difference between you sort of railroading the punchline and just like curb stomping it and going over it versus like that boom moment. Mm -hmm. um, That's powerful. So, so how, and by the way, that was so brilliant what you said about w waiting for your subject to give you more. Mm -hmm. How did you come to that? knowledge so there's this journalist named bob dotson who, who was on nbc news for a very long time some people might recognize his name um and they've definitely probably seen one of his stories before if they ever watched uh nbc news from the 90s on up and he wrote this book and it's called the non-question question where you sort of allude to something like yeah so so dave so you've been doing stand-up for a long time huh yes so i, I kind of i didn't really <laughs> ask a question but but yeah. it, it encourages a response mm. to fill the, yeah, because we're like, as humans, like just the mirroring that happens, like you want to, you want to mirror each, and, the, and the, you know, uh, people actually said this about, about The Rock when he was on Joe Rogan this mm -hmm. week, because he's so good in like at mirroring others that he'll give you the energy you give him. And yep. like, that makes you feel when you're interviewing someone, I can imagine that takes the walls down. Sometimes people are nervous to be interviewed and you want to make them feel comfortable and bring them into the conversation. And the same yep. is true for stand up where you just want you want to make sure you, you, you don't want the crowd to be nervous no you know you want them to believe well, I always talk about competence and um, likability right mm -hmm. so like the crowd needs to believe you're competent which means you know just being on stage and holding the mic the right way yeah. and then likability doesn't even mean that they like you it just means that you fit whatever sort of like vibe you're trying to give off like you yeah. fit the character of whatever joke you're writing mm -hmm. And, and yeah, and you, and you have to create your own comfortability. There, there's this girl that was in my um, stand-up class. She's 22 or 23, and she is she's gonna be a star. Oh yeah. And yeah, she's already kind of. 
doing well on TikTok, but she just is really big on like, yeah, I have my notebook with me out here and my jokes and I put it down right here. You probably didn't expect that, you know, and like the crowd like loses it, you know, but she walks them through her process. Like some comics are like terrified of people knowing that they have their jokes right there up there to, to reference if they forget it or whatever. She references it, you know, or like there was this bad open mic and she was like, oh, this open mic sucks, you know, and like she posted it on TikTok and it went sort of viral. So I just like that she's comfortable and able to walk through the pro- walk people through the process. I think people appreciate that. Yeah, and you learn that every every audience is like a batter if you're pitching to them. You know, mm-hmm. you need to treat everyone differently. And um, I love it when I'm at a mic and you comics be like, "Oh, this room sucks," whatever. And sometimes <laughs> it is. Sometimes you just can't get out of it. The room sucks. Yeah. But a lot of times you can crack people. You can crack a room. Oh yeah. You just need to like alter whatever you're presenting to fit that crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, what's funny is I had this one show a few years ago. I was walking onto the stage and, you know, everyone's different. Sometimes you're really prepared and uh-huh. sometimes you're like, all right, let's just fuck around with this let's thought. And I forgot everything that I wanted to work on. <laughs> I'm not kidding. This audience was cool, but I got yeah. on stage and had no, usually like a couple steps, you know, yeah, yeah something comes to you, you know, mm-hmm. and like nothing. And I just stood up on stage and was like smiling, waiting for that moment. And I was, I started to get laughs from the crowd. Oh wow. And I was like, I don't even know, and it ended up being like a very, a, a memorable set. When you do hundreds, thousands of sets, you don't always remember them. But I was like, that moment where I was free and in the moment, That's crazy. cracked the tension in the room. Yeah. And you just don't know. Sometimes that'll, sometimes you'll bomb if you're not prepared. But I think it's like acting where the idea with a lot of good actors is memorize your lines so that you don't need to memorize them. Mm-hmm. They just now exist. Exactly. And how do you prepare as a journalist for your line of questioning? Is it just about gaining as much knowledge as possible of your subject? Or like, what's that process like? Yeah, so there, there's two ways to go about it. You, you, you look at their history and sort of things they've done before, or their background, because a lot of things that they've said before or done before, their history kind of explains a, a, a question for you. And you can go deeper with that question now. Say, oh, you know, for, for instance, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this now because it's coming out tomorrow. But Ludacris uh, is in a new Christmas movie. Okay. Yeah, called Dashing Through the Snow. And I interviewed him and I saw on his Wikipedia page that he started rapping at nine. And in the movie, his character is like writing Santa letters as a kid. So I said, hey, your character's writing letters as a kid. You started rapping at nine and writing mm. rhymes. Did you did you write letters to Santa as well? And he was like, he was like, brother, I'm gonna tell you something that not a lot of people know. My first rap name was Chris Kringle. <laughs> and I was like, what? And he was like, not a lot of people know that. And and I, I got this nugget out of Ludacris that I'm able to share tomorrow. And uh, so he, his first rap name was Chris Kringle and he would write letters to Santa. And his name is Chris Bridges. So it kind of was a play on words as well. And I got that nugget out of him because I, I asked the question in that way of, you used to write rhymes at nine. And so I was able to get a nugget out of him that I would not have gotten had I not done my research. So one thing is researching and seeing their past. Another thing is wondering what people want to know. So like, what do people want to know about this movie? Like, why should they watch this movie? Well, what is it? Is it good? You know, is it, is it long? Is it going to keep their attention? You know, I, I got to think about ways. I got to think about outside of myself. What will families who want to watch Christmas movies this this break want to know about this movie so that that's how i go about it i love that because you know so often you'll get these like press junkets where you'll have matthew mcconaughey just going down the line and get do 20 interviews in a row and they're all the same and i think of the same i generally get 
when I get bachelor interviews, a lot of times I get kind of leftovers of people that are, did the show a yep. couple of years or they're finally off contract. So when I, when, when I go, I don't want to ask the same questions everyone asks Caitlin Bristow. Mm -hmm. I don't want to ask the same, I want to know like what hasn't been asked and I always think that most contestants that were on the show, their personal lives are far more interesting than what happened to them on the show. Yes. You know, that, now, don't get me wrong. That pays the bills, right? Mm -hmm. Pays the bills to hear a little tea about Claire Crowley. We love that, right? <laughs> exactly. But what's really interesting is finding out what motivates you, what brings you mm -hmm. passion. So for you doing even the bare minimum research on Ludacris, you, you probably... Uh, fill his like creative soul for that moment because he can talk about something that's interesting mm -hmm. and you know you know i to be completely fair you're probably not even as caught up in the bachelor world as i am because mm -hmm. i i see all these podcasts yeah you do a lot of great work you're, you're always updating they're so lazy these podcast hosts oh wow they're so lazy they don't they're not like digging for for like like you're saying like unearthing good things to talk about mm -hmm. and um there's actually do you know andrew schultz the name he, sounds familiar. Yeah, he's um, I mean, he's he's just sold out two nights in a row at Madison Square Gardens as oh, a wow. comedian. He's yeah, got the Flavor awesome. podcast. He's huge, but he he's huge. Uh -huh. He's a full blown millionaire. Oh but wow. ev Oh yeah, he's huge. I mean, tours the world. Uh, but every question he asks was highly researched of his guests, mm -hmm. and I think that's if I'm going to take up your time. It, to have you drive around with me I want you to know that I know a few things about you mm -hmm. you know and yep. I think that just I think that's also a respect thing you know if someone if someone was interviewing me and they found out something that I go oh shoot you knew me from from those days yeah. okay like there's those qualifiers like like knowing it's just something simple about ludicrous that probably let him go okay this guy's good at what he does yeah and that that yeah. takes you to the competence level like I said about anything in life entertainment and creative it's competence and likability mm -hmm. so you're competent by showing off all that and then you're obviously likable in the way you deliver that and and you never know how you can stand out to that person if you don't find out those nuggets and those things about them that are really interesting like like your mom having gone to the same college as myself like that's huge like you know i i know who you are but now there's even more relatability and more comfortability because you did that research and i'm like oh that's really cool yeah i didn't know that yeah you know? a simple wikipedia search right you know? <laughs> no but it does go it does go a long way yeah so we so you were typecast in a movie recently yes. as a reporter. Yes. So is that because your agent knows you were a reporter and you've got reporter real? I mean, like casting directors are not visionary thinkers. They just want to be like, all right, you can do it. Yeah. Like, like tell me about that process. So first of all, I, I don't have an agent actually. Um, I do everything that I get on my own and I'm very proud of that, that I've been very successful on my own. And uh, for that, I had already been taking acting classes, which was really cool. And, uh, you know, I, I did know the director, so I knew the movie was happening and I knew um, that, there, that there was going to be reporters in it. But I auditioned and I just used what I had learned from my acting class, injected that with what I had done the past eight, nine, ten years as a, as a TV journalist. And it just worked out. They just really liked the audition and they, they felt good enough. And the reason I was very proud is because like I knew this was going to be a huge Netflix movie. I knew that this was going to be a big deal, so I can't mess this up. This isn't going to be some movie on Tubi. You know, not to disrespect them, but this is <laughs> on some small we platform. We love you, Tubi. We love you. <laughs> you know, but I knew it was going to be on Netflix and it ended up being the number one movie on Netflix for a while. And remind me of the movie? They clone Tyrone. They clone Tyrone. Yeah. That's amazing. Were you ner uh, was that a nerve-wracking <sighs> thing, having lines that 
you know, it's a little different than journalism. It's similar. You're yeah. not, it's better, you know, you're not like an accountant getting into that world, but like it is a little, a little different to, to have to show up on the spot, deliver, take advice, take notes and all that. Oh yeah. Like I, I've done in real life, I've done live shots in front of stadiums of people and was like, whatever with this, there was like maybe a hundred, hundreds of people around. Cause it was that last scene. There's like a bunch of naked clones everywhere. And like, there was people everywhere and I was, t I was definitely nervous. I was super nervous. And you know, the director was like, Hey man, you know what you're doing? You, you, you're good at this. Just do what you do. Do, do your reporter thing. This is what you do. And I was like, you're right. And so I was like, I got this. So I just did multiple takes, did it in different ways and it worked out. It looks really good. And they gave me a good amount of uh, FaceTime on that. Oh, great. Uh, yeah. So it was you, really cool. You know, a lot of people don't realize in film and TV, you usually don't rehearse. Sometimes no. there's a rehearsal. Sometimes you shoot the rehearsal. And like, depending on, especially if it's not the main scene or whatever, mm -hmm. if they're late on the day, you might just go in there and shoot it versus theater, which is, you know, months of rehearsal. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't work that way. And I, I, I was in an ABC pilot and I, I, I nailed my lines. I had like, oh, you know, good. I had like four or five, I had like a good quarter page, half page of lines. <laughs> And, and um, we do the rehearsal. Mm -hmm. And my first project I ever did, I was 23. And we do the rehearsal and then, you know, one rehearsal and then I get a note like handwritten. The writers had changed my lines. Oh. I was so memorized to the previous lines. It was very hard to like go in there and, and completely change Switch things around. But like that's, that's the world. Mm -hmm. Like that's the world. You just have to kind of go with whatever they give you. So oh, yeah. the preparation isn't always the memorization. It's just like knowing the character and feeling mm -hmm. comfortable and being able to, you know, like I said before, memorize something, but then being able to release it. So that's it. So it was just, yeah. was it just like a day shoot? It was just a day shoot. And, and to what you were saying, like the more, the more you research someone, the more, uh, experience you have, the more you are able to just do it. You know, um, like I'm, I'm taking salsa uh, lessons right now. And okay. I'm going to salsa, uh, uh, dance parties and stuff like that. Social, social gatherings. And the more I take lessons, the more I'm able to like do moves now. And I'm like, Oh, I didn't do that before. I just kind of naturally <laughs> did it. And I was like, okay. So it's like the more you, um, the more you do it, the more you don't have to do a, a routine because yeah. in, in class I'll teach you a routine and now I don't have to do the same moves in the same, um, order because I, I'm building more experience. It's, so it's like, like acting. It's like learning words. You, you mm -hmm. learn a language not to memorize it, but to be able to use it for a tool to express yourself. Exactly. Now what's, so are you, would you do any more reality? Like, would you do a bathroom paradise or a, you know, one of these other shows or are you done with that? that that's a great question. Um, I've definitely been, uh, you know, in and out of, of wanting to, to do something else mm -hmm. on, on a reality show. Uh, I was actually sent down to Paradise uh, with ABC to interview the cast of Bachelor in Paradise this, this current oh, really? season. Yeah. Um, I didn't really post about it a lot. Um, but but I, I did share it on my story. But yeah, I interviewed Avon and oh, Blake nice. and Rachel and Kylie. So that was really cool being able to like go down there and like see it. So you're going to, you're, you're getting all these trips. Your passport's getting, trips. getting punched. It's getting punched. It's getting punched. <laughs> that, that was really cool because I had never been invited to do Bachelor in Paradise. So I think being down, going down there with ABC to do that was like a really cool experience. And I, I never knew how the producers felt about me. I'm like, did they like me? Did they not? I saw some of them and they, they were so happy to see me. They were like, man, we remember you from your season. You were awesome. So that made me feel really good like even though you guys didn't cast me like you liked me and you that, know, that was cool it's so tough because i always talk about corporations and being psychopathic yeah. in the sense that they don't care about you they're just trying to everyone's trying to just keep their job and i kind of feel that way about 
producers. Like, if they needed to throw you under the bus for the scene, they would have if you had given them that chance. Like, it doesn't really matter who you are. Mm-hmm. It Like, uh, with Katie Thurston, right, she she had a really rough going. And then yeah, as we record did. this tonight, she's making her appearance back on Bachelor in Paradise. Oh, yeah. And she had vowed to never. She was like, man, she was like, I'm done. They, they yeah. She lost all that trust. And you just realize over time, all right, you know, they were they were doing what they do. I was just the chum who had to do it. Exactly. And, and life yeah. goes on. And then you do what's best for you. But so, so uh, I don't know if I quite got an answer. Would you do it again? Or would you actually do a dating show or no? I, I would do a Bachelor Nation franchise show. I don't think I would do any other show like Love is Blind or you know Love Island or anything like that because um, I don't want to be known as a guy who's bouncing from show to show and it's completely fine but I, I, I'm, an inter- I'm in entertainment so I don't want to be seen as like oh he's just trying to get more clout for entertainment so I would stay within the family the Bachelor Nation family but I don't think I would do another show just I don't want to be seen as like bouncing around and, yeah uh, and you know it's, it's kind of good because you didn't get that much exposure where mm-hmm. you you know if you were say um, I mean even like take Greg Rippo right if you were like He's he's known from The Bachelor. Mm-hmm. He was a finalist. He was kind of like that. He had a big deal there. So like you don't the pipeline from from being heavily like like seen on reality TV to acting is very limited. Mm-hmm. You know, even in the Bachelor world, it is. It, the yeah. only people that have really flourished that were like stars would be Rachel Lindsay was just Rachel in something Lindsay. I believe as a reporter too and yeah. Nick Vial was in something as in a Lifetime movie but those instances I think they were those were the types of movies that were just using them to pull a little audience because obviously Lifetime's got a female audience mm-hmm. so does Bachelor and I, I kind of feel like that's like a short short like bait where they'll bring people in just to yeah. get some exposure but long term success you know there's like different ways to do it right like Absolutely. you really do want to I mean and today sorry to to veer off here but in today's world building equity is from building followers and I exactly. kind of feel like that's sort of how you get in with your personality mm-hmm. so what's the plan for becoming a Steve Harvey Ryan Seacrest like because because the way they made it wasn't the way you make it today right that that is such a great question and and it's something I'm continuing to figure out as I go along but it's it's so different those those days are pretty much over and so I have sort of a three-pronged strategy pretty much so one is social media um, content and consistency and so I've come I've been coming up with a strategy I have a photographer we're gonna shoot some content I really want to shoot content that can help people so I'm gonna start focusing on like storytelling writing some of my reporting history and like sort of try to build my following that way on social media that's sort of a new strategy I'm um, starting up soon Um, so attacking social media because you have to like you said you have to have the followers that's another thing Um, diversifying what I do so I've already we've already talked about some of the acting I've done Um, doing comedy now will help um, get some eyeballs and and will help with with you know branding and and all those different things so trying different things and then the third thing which is is probably the most important is coming up with your own ideas because if you can't if you're not chosen to do something make your own way get over that brick wall yeah you know what i'm saying Issa ray did it with with um insecure you know what i'm saying um uh, th- this guy out of the uk just started his own show uh, on a, as a webinar and now it's been picked up and so you can you can knock knock the door down you know angela uh johnson mm. who's an who's a famous comedian started off on myspace of all things and then matt rife you know he's he kind of 
you know, blew up his way kind of doing the YouTube thing. And so I need to, you know, create my own game show or do some type of thing where I'm not waiting for someone to pick me to host an American Idol. I'm creating my own. And so I've been coming up with my own ideas, some for television and some for social media. And yeah, that's now it's just acting. Yeah, social media is great. I mean, you can bring, you can almost like, you can't necessarily, like when you're producing something yourself, you can't necessarily build your own set, but you can bring something to the audience. You can Mm -hmm. find your audience and find the game show. Um, You know, I was actually watching um, uh, Sylvester Stallone's documentary last night. He's the perfect example. I mean, he wrote Rocky, you know, Mm -hmm. it's to change the trajectory of his life. Mm -hmm. And in today's world, like with stand-up specifically, most people that are like industry darlings that like it used to be if you got into the Montreal Comedy Festival just for laughs that made you you got a development deal and all these other things Mm -hmm. now it's like look everyone's gonna be funny everyone's gonna be able to make an audience laugh Mm -hmm. who's gonna sell tickets and buy beer right and that selling tickets and buy beer might mean something different for a game show or for whatever else you get into but it's like who's gonna move the needle there Mm -hmm. you're a charming guy you've got all these different skills and if you've got those skills and the other guy does because it's Hollywood. There's a hundred thousand people that are all, you know, you know. It's like, what's the difference maker there? Mm-hmm. And that comes down to the proof that you've done it before, and that social proof is usually found online. You you just made a fantastic point. The the social proof is now done online, and you know, it's 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 twofold. A lot of people look at it like oh, this sucks that now I have to have followers to be able to do this. And then there's the other side where it's like, oh, I get the opportunity to do this that maybe I wouldn't, if, you know, in the days of non-social media. And so I was meeting with this, uh, this, this woman who's a manager, a talent manager, and she, she gave me some, uh, some, some tough pills to swallow. She was like, you know, what is it that you want to do? And I told her what I wanted to do. And she was like, why you? Why would I pick you for this show? And I was like, well, you know, I'm, I'm social, I'm fun, I, I ask good questions, you know what I mean? Like, all the things that are kind of like, you can find a Joe Schmo on the street that, to, that, that can fit that same mold. Right. And I was like, I need to have more to say this is why. That's social proof. So that's why I'm like, okay, I get where she was coming from. It was harsh advice, but it was great advice. And so now I'm like putting action into, I'm, I'm being more active and like doing my own thing to say, this is why you should pick me. I just built this following off of this own, this YouTube thing I created. Yeah. yeah. You know, I've been getting some funny hate that I laugh at from people. Cause like two and a half or three years ago, my channel took off, but I did this shit for a long time. Yeah. And we're actually about to drive by the old haha. Yeah. Which is right next to the new one. Mm-hmm. Um, you've been to the Haha, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the and old the, and the comedy chateau. Yeah. Oh yeah, the chateau's right there. So the old Haha, they just moved a few uh, years ago, but I went to that uh, eleven years ago to mm-hmm. the open mic, and we're in the valley. I lived in Santa Monica at the time. Mm-hmm. It was an hour plus drive each way. I went four days in a row before going on stage. Oh wow. The first four, th- maybe th- the first three days. I was out there just, yeah, these jokes just aren't ready. Blah, blah, blah. And I just, you know, that brick wall was kicking my yeah. ass. This wasn't your first time doing stand-up, was it? First time. This was your first time, okay. I'd never gone on stage before. I was in a class. Okay, but, so you were in a class too. But yeah. I still was not like, ooh, whatever. Yeah. And then I was willing to drive two hours each day in the worst traffic in the world mm-hmm. and go, nah, not ready. And then luckily I kind of pulled myself up and was like, Dave, what are you doing? get up there mm-hmm. and then there's no looking back I don't think there was ever a mic after that that I walked away from you mm-hmm. know and and it's just a matter of belie- you know it's belief in yourself but also I say I say that because you know I was 11 12 years ago you know like it's a long journey mm-hmm. but it you know you're you don't know where it's going to take you 
and people aren't gonna see the journey. So like Matt Reif gets a lot of shit because they just see him as this like crazy successful 28 year old who's beautiful, but like Mm -hmm. the dude's put in the time. I mean, he's put in the time and nobody sees that. No. Except for like close people. Uh And that's that iceberg shit where it's like you, you, it's it's almost like I think people that don't understand the process will see how easy and effortless people make it seem when they're actually in that professional uh, area mm-hmm. but no one sees Chris Rock when he I mean from all from all accounts I've heard he was a horrible comedian yeah I've heard yeah. that he used to stink it up and you just see him crushing it on stage and don't he's realize one of the best. Like, he's yeah. one of the best one of the best ever so the internet does at least a good job of I think exposing people to the process but it's hard to know what's going to hit and what's going to be the thing until Al, until that, it's a, it's like Rubik's cube. You know, you can be. Um, I got to make my way back here. You can be, you know, only a couple turns away from a perfect Rubik's cube, but mm-hmm. it might still look like shit. Yeah, and that's, absolutely. And that's the difference between, you know, stinking it up in an audition room mm-hmm. and then getting a casting director to say, "Bingo, you mm-hmm. got it." Yeah, I mean, you made all great points. Like, I just discovered who Matt Wright is, like, maybe a month ago. And, you know, now now I look at him, he's, a, like you said, he's a good-looking dude who's super funny and blowing up. It's easy for me to be like, well, why did this guy make it? How did he make it? Like, I saw some video that he, that he did to promote this new Netflix special where he said, like, he's been grinding for 12 years. Like, he's 28. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that means he's been doing it since he was 16. And I don't know what the grind consisted of, but that's a long time to, and a lot of people who are, teenagers don't know that they want to be comedians or don't know how to put in the grind and the fact that he did that has been doing that it's like this is what you see but it's been welded for a long time yeah and you know i think in some ways social media is just a tool and for some people they might get success early and not appreciate it and i can tell you this seeing having seen some people who blow up online and seeing how miserable they are i'm talking people that really didn't put all the bricks in place here yeah and then just and they got this success up. and you know there's this example i had of this comedian who they they would hide after they were so big right but they would hide after their show mm-hmm. so they didn't have to say hi to their fans because it was too exhausting to see their fans yeah and it's like okay but also there that's you that you're nothing without your audience right yep. Yep. and dane cook gets a lot of shit because he was so huge as a, you know he was a meteoric he was you know the the it guy selling out you know arenas and shit but he would shake hands with every single person after his shows really like and like my wife knows you know when when we have people that come to shows like i'm and, and I'm, I'm appreciative of it but i'm it, it is still work to make sure everybody gets a slice of gratitude for spending their hard-earned time and money to come out to a show and i think for those that might have i don't know i don't want to say shortcut this the the um sort of the, the the season where you're earning that trust but i think that the people that don't have at least a little bit of a struggle don't realize the um maybe how the, the level of gratitude they should have for mm-hmm. for finally getting there. Does that make sense? It makes absolute sense, you know. That there's a quote I've, I've followed for a long time, you know, the harder the struggle, the greater the victory. And I think The Rock is a great example of that. Some, he struggled for a long time, you know. He never realized his dream of, of being an NFL superstar, but became much bigger than an NFL superstar. He's probably the greatest entertainer, potentially one of the greatest entertainers of all time. Um, one of the greatest for sure, but could potentially be the greatest. And, you know, um, um, yeah, I, th- I think people should appreciate their fans. There's there's people who pack out stadiums who, 
years later could probably not even fill out a small venue. And so you have to and cherish the moment when it's there and cherish those fans now as you have them because like you would be nothing without them. You know what I'm saying? Like I tell people like these big companies like Google or Amazon, like don't ever feel like you're a small part of it. Like know that they wouldn't run without you. And that's how I feel about any fan. Like one, one fan is just as important as, as all of them because it's nothing, you're nothing without them. Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, people that find their like TikTok success or whatever, it, it can be like firecracker short lived Yes. When, when it's kind of just like from a viral moment or whatever. But like what you really want to do is build and engage an audience for life and let them mm-hmm. grow with you and all those things that come with it. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I just, I look at, you know, I even look at, um, you know, like I can't begrudge people that grew up with wealth, but I grew up kind of just like, you know, I had to work a lot of minimum wage jobs, Uber, te- you know, you know, you're scooping puke out of your car at 3 a.m. because some yeah. chick's 21st birthday. You know what I mean? Like just the worst things. Yeah. And then someone's like, oh, the privilege you have. It's like, all right, man, whatever. Yeah. If that's what you think it is, then you're probably not going to understand that like everyone in this town works hard. You know, I mean, Everyone. everyone's got a hustle mm-hmm. and how's yours going to like rise above the other people. But also at the same time, you're not necessarily competing against them because the brick wall, they're, they're going to have their own brick wall. Yes. You know, yes. I don't know if that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I, you know, a lot of people call LA uh, superficial, whatever. And, 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 I, and I, I, I change a lot of people's minds in that when I say like, imagine you moved from wherever you lived across the country or across the world and went to this competitive city that's super expensive. You move there not knowing if you'll ever be successful. You're taking classes that are super expensive and you're working jobs that you normally wouldn't work just to maybe get your dream realized. That is a real hustle and a real grind that Mm. most people won't even make the move, let alone do it for 10 years. Oh, the, the talent that's on a mm-hmm. catering team making mm-hmm. minimum wage mm-hmm. that you don't even know how, how close someone is to having that screenplay polished or whatever. So yeah, yeah. dude, um, did I leave anything on the table here? You asked a lot of things. Uh, I thought that, uh, you asked great questions. I love that you really, uh, you know, wanted to know a lot about me personally and i appreciate that you can do a stand-up show with me soon let's do it let's do it that'd be great all right you heard it here first all right thanks again for doing the show i appreciate it this was fun awesome man all right